One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people. They're absolutely astonished at it. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Joe, I'm a small bit grumpy this morning. I might as well tell you now just a little bit, right? Just one or two things that have been grinding my gears lately. And one of them is a really small thing Really small But it's annoying me That it happens in 2022 Something simple And if you parked your car this morning In the city And paid for it Using the parking app You know the one, the park by phone You might know about it I'll mention it in a minute What it is But it really grinds my gears That's a brilliant app I really like it I use it every day but there's something about it that bothers the hell out of me. I'll tell you what it is in a minute. 0818969696. Good morning. Tuesday. Uh, two more days till we start Radiothon. And lots to do today. I didn't get to um, yesterday. We, we, we told you we were chatting last week about painkillers that people were getting addicted to. Uh, helplessly and hopelessly addicted to over-the-counter painkillers a lot of the time. But we were contacted after that by Liam who is addicted to prescription painkillers and is looking for help at this stage so I'll let you hear from Liam in a wee while but first and this came up also uh, in the last week or so we had a call a few calls actually about a bus route that had to be suspended was it the one down in Glenmire Marwood was it in Glenmire they had to take the bus off and bus Aaron did issue a statement about that they would take the bus off uh, the Marwood bus because there were stones being thrown at it and it got taken off at half nine or ten o'clock at night because it was getting dangerous for the bus drivers and this would appear to be would appear to be we know it's not an isolated incident and is it happening is it on the 220 or happening to the 220 uh, councillor Audrey Buckley good morning Good morning, VJ. Thank you for having me on. Um, uh, well, uh, you know, I haven't heard of any actually damage with with stones and that, um, but I do know there seems to be a lot of antisocial yeah. behaviour when um, people are waiting, you know, on a nice sunny day. 
um, in the evening time, about seven, eight o'clock, when um, you know a lot of people want to go back into the city, go back home. Um, there is uh, definitely a lot of antisocial behaviour, but it's um, kind of the norm now, to be honest, PJ. Um, you know, I was surprised when I got the call this morning, but then I remembered we did have bus airing in with us at uh, our municipal district meeting there um, last week. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just we've been talking about this for how many years now, PJ? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you. It's uh, become uh, the norm. Specifically, I think since and uh, for for such a wonderful service that it is, but since the yes. two twenty was extended, there had been problems. And I did see the video recently. It was on social media of trouble when kids were waiting for the bus to to go home and just fighting breaking out and yeah. large groups of yeah. kids and they they're entitled as entitled to use the bus as the next. Yes. Um, they are, but but not to cause trouble. Well, and also we have to think of, um, we get a lot of, um, especially on a, a Sunday and a nice um, weekend, you know, Saturday or Sunday now, to be honest, um, we would get a lot of older people coming down on the bus for, you know, to cross Avon for their fish and chips or to go to the Mary's or, you know, the La Scala or whatever it may be. You know, these people are waiting to go back on the bus as well. And, you know, I've heard some of them are not getting on the bus because they're afraid because of the carry-on that's happening. Um, I know about a month ago we had a nice weekend and about nine o'clock in, in Crosshaven Village there was probably over 100 um, teenagers. That could have been the video that you saw. It was absolutely chaos. There's no way you would have gotten on the bus if you, you know, if you were older or, like, I wouldn't let my own children on the bus, to be honest. If it was a nice sunny evening, I would go collect them if mm. they were coming from somewhere. And and I do know about um, at that same time, that period of my daughter was coming down from uh, the city with her friends about 5, 5.30. She said the bus was just full. They were drinking on the bus um, and they were going to get off in Cargilline. Some people did get off in Cargilline older people um, she stayed on it um, but the big question here is at our meeting when we spoke to the senior operator um, for Bus Erin mm. I mean it was news to me that I um, I had no idea that we actually have private security um, on the bus that's what he stated neither did I because I've never Ms. heard about it this was Mr <laughs> Williams the man with the lovely Welsh sounding that's name that's right yeah Alex um, Williams that's correct yeah I I didn't know that, and I used the 216 no. or the 220 quite a lot. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he stated that private security contractor, um, and I, I said, for how many years has that been going on? Because I myself had never heard of it. I've been speaking with um, Superintendent John Deasy with about getting more community policing and more guards. What we need is more guards walking the beach like they did when we were kids. Um, and uh, they do go on the buses, but I've never met, I've never heard them even mentioning to me that, oh, well, bus Aaron have their own private security. So there's kind of... You know, so that communication or network well, well, that hasn't well, been if coming out. Thing, if it does have, my next question to to Mr. Williams, and he's welcome to be on the opinion line, just like you are, Audrey. But my next question yes. to Mr. Williams would be: Well, if it is a thing that you have a private security on the buses, presumably they're travelling, you know, without a great big uniform and a radio on them, which is fine. But also, um, why are there kids being allowed to drink openly on the bus then? 
Yeah. And, and you and you can see like where, you know, the, the driver of the bus is locked in um, for his safety probably as well. I mean, I'm sure there's cameras on bus and he can see it. So my question to Mr. Williams was how many fines or how many times have we called this private security to get them to come on the buses to address or deal with these issues? Yeah. He didn't or is, have is there a, an, an officer answer traveling for me. on the bus, or is it someone that we call if we have trouble on the you, you know, you call. Apparently, you preempt, and the and the the bus driver is meant to call this private security company and preempt that this is going to happen. Okay. I mean. So I have asked how many times this has happened because um, I, I don't know what the figures are going to be revealed. Has anybody been prosecuted? Um, um, how do they so deal with it? So calling the security man or woman after the yeah. fact, whereas on most of the buses, there is just to the left or right, as you go in there past the driver, it's usually on the left, I think, there's a single seat on its own by a window. It would yeah. be a great yeah. deterrent to anyone planning any mischief on the bus to have a uniformed security guard sitting there from time to time, would it not? Yeah, but you'll be told that they don't have the budget for that or they don't. Yeah, that's that's what I, we I seem suspect, to get a lot anytime we're looking for I anything. I suspect it's less than a call-out fee. Call-out fees are the higher. Yeah. That's, what, that's what it costs you. Yeah, and and you know what? There, you know, so many people. We want people to be active travel. We want to stop people using their cars. We want people to get on our buses and that. I mean, we're afraid in the summer months, um, you know, we wouldn't leave our own kids and stuff on the buses. So they need to address it if they want more of us to use public transportation in these busy times, especially during the summer. I mean, the silly season is only probably going to start because the weather has been bad for the last few days, for last week. So you know, you'll see it firsthand again um, and I am hoping you know thank you for having me on and and I am hoping that this will you know highlight it because I know the NTA are meant to be doing a, a report and addressing it the safety issues it's a bit late but at least they're talking about it you know Mm, okay, Audrey, thank you. And anyone who ever seen um, anything like that on the uh, 220, particularly down to Crossaven, and they will come forward. Thank you, Audrey, Audrey Buckley. The stone throwing, not so much a problem on the 220, but wherever it's a problem, it's too much. I want to revert back to that statement that uh, Bosera issued to us about the Marwood bus. This is the 214, the Nakraha CUH bus. We used to call it in a few years ago, it was the number 14 to Toker. Now they call it the 214. There was a stone-throwing incident at 8.10pm, 15th May. Nobody hurt or injured. Gardaí notified and are investigating. That's all pretty good. All services on the route were curtailed. Now it says, Bus Airing doesn't tolerate any act of aggressive or abusive behaviour towards our staff, customers or property. We invest significantly to deliver our commitment to provide a safe and secure environment for all employees and customers, etc, etc, etc. We have very few reported incidents of antisocial behaviour, of which about half relate to property damage. And Bus Airing takes each incident very seriously. All are investigated with Gadda Kona as necessary. All vehicles are fitted with internal and external CCTV. Drivers have a direct communications link to a control centre, can alert a supervisor and the Gadi if required to any issues that might arise. In the, in the rare event there's a need to curtail services due to antisocial behaviour, then we make that regrettable but, unnecess- but necessary decision. Now it also says customers can report any incidents to the Gadi, to the driver or to our customer care line, which is an 0818 836 611. 
and all bus errands, city and town buses are fitted with driver security screens. Security personnel are employed in our larger bus stations and extensive CCTV is also in operation throughout all stations to ensure the security of our staff, customers and property. And they finished by saying that customer research shows 83% of bus area customers felt safe and secure during their journeys. And you know what? Most of the time I feel absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. We have uh, sent an email this morning to bus Aaron requesting an interview with Mr. Williams, the aforementioned. He's their senior operations manager. We'd be delighted to speak to him. The idea of having private security, I'm all for it. I am all for it, particularly on a 24-hour route like the 220. But I don't know how you'd feel about this. But I think if I'm coming home from town at 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock at night, or it might be a bit later sometimes, you know, and I'm getting on the bus and I would feel secure, for want of a better word, if I saw a security guard sitting just inside the door there. You know when you go inside the front of the bus and you use your leap card or your whatever pass you have or cash to the driver? Usually in there behind the driver's little box, there is one seat on its own. Uh, I know it because I like that seat, but I'd have no problem not using that seat if I found that there was a security guard sitting in that seat. Just maybe, maybe it's costly, but a security guard that would stop people messing as they get on the bus. That if anyone started messing on the bus could immediately address the situation. So how would you feel about that? And if, if Mr. Williams will come back to me, I'd be delighted to speak with him. I just want to ask him about that possibility. If we must have private security, then let's have it. Let's have the private security person actually on the bus. How would you feel about that? Kate says the man in front of me when I got on that bus was told he can't bring his coffee. Isn't it then bizarre people are drinking alcohol? Yeah, but you see, Kate, the coffee, and I know what you mean by that, but the coffee is in a cup in the man's hand perfectly innocently. The the, the cans and the naggins are inside in gear bags. And they go upstairs and they start slugging out of them. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Whatever sport you support, we want you to grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. Stick it on for Radiothon. If you need a light to shine it. Cork's 96FM, Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services. This year, Friday, May 27th, is Jersey Day. We want you to hold a Jersey Day. Hold a Jersey Day. Get together with family, friends or colleagues and wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. For more, see 96FM.ie. The 2022 Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th, only on Cork's 96FM. Liam, you were listening to us the other day talking about addiction to things like drugs with codeine in them that you can get over the counter, um, regular uh, painkillers, as it were. And you are, as we speak, addicted to these things. I am, yeah, totally addicted. Tell tell me about your, your situation. Um... Well, it all started there three years ago. Um, I was away on holiday and my back just went. And it turned out when I got back, I had some, I had an MRI scan done. 
and I had bulging discs left and right, and it was thinning it with the discs as well. Yes. So um, the tablets that I, I asked for were the ones that I had taken, what, 10, 12 years ago? Because I, as an adult, I had my tonsils taken out, and anyone that had that done, I don't know, as an adult, would know the pain. Yeah. So I took these anyway, and the, the, the pain was more or less gone instantly. Like They're called um, Everestant Cocodamol tablets. 30 milligrams of cocodamol and 500 milligrams of paracetamol. They were prescription, where they were over the counter? These are, these are prescription, oh, these are okay. prescription, because there's nothing over the counter would touch the pain. I see. So, cut a long story short, anyway, uh, the back issue uh, persevered and the pain was getting worse. So, I asked the doctor for these tablets and not a problem, not a problem. Here you are, take them. And um, first year and a half, grand. I stuck to the medication, I stuck to the dosage, everything. And in the last year and a half, I've nearly doubled the dosage per day. And in the evening, I'll take more again, depending on how I feel, you know. So you're take, you were originally put on, I see in front of me here, you were told to take two tablets four times a day. That's correct, yeah. That's what correct. are you taking now? Um, I'm taking... Full dosage is first thing in the morning. That's 10 to 12 tablets first thing in the morning now. Right. And I'm taking another six to eight as the day goes on. So that's nearly 20, what? About 20 a day. Yeah, nearly 20, 20 a day nearly. If you walk out, if you walk out the dose, the milligrams and stuff, that's a huge dosage, look. It is. Aren't they still working against the pain? <laughs> the amount that I'm taking now... The effect that that dose has is the same effect as what I started off on the lesser dosage per day. Right. And alongside of that, then I'm taking other painkillers, um, pen, uh, gabapentin, they're called, and they're six, they're 600 milligrams, and I'm taking three of those a day alongside of what I'm taking as well, just, just to stem the pain. Why were you given that? If the first tablets were working, even if you had to increase the dose, why were you given the gabapentin? Because the pain was the pain was just so bad, like okay, you know, pain was excruciating. Like. I see, I see, and it still is. It still is, you know. I've begged, I've begged the doctor even for just an injection to, you know, but no response. So you're taking about twenty of the cocodamols, and you're taking yeah. three doses of gabapentin. Yeah, yeah. Every day. Yeah. And other than the pain, whether it works or not, is a kind of a by-the-by at this stage. How is it affecting you otherwise? Oh, God. Um, the side effects that I'm experiencing are atrocious. I get, I, get, I get very low moods. I could turn from zero to the Hulk in a split second. Really? Absolutely, absolutely. If, if anybody said something to me or got in my way or done something like that, I could just snap. Right. Um, family are experiencing difficulties as well because you know they're there to support me and stuff, but they can't put up with it forever, you know. Yeah, that's why I'm coming forward now and looking to get something done. You need help. Oh, definitely, definitely. Without absolutely, Liam. Other than the pain, which I suffer from a bit of back pain myself, so can't imagine what pain you must be in. If you were to stop taking these. What would happen? I try. I've tr I've tried several times, DJ. 
I've tried several times to stop. And the side effects, as I said, I get the shakes, I get anxiety, I get stressed. Um, even on a good day, when the pain is not as bad, I still take a fair whack of of the tablets. You know what I mean? Is it fair to say that you're now taking them just to feel all right? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. And even even if even if I stop taking them all together, you still you still have that craving for them. Yeah. Because that's what they do, you know. They they just mess with your with your brain cells, like basically. Now we're not we're not saying where you are, but how do you get them? They are prescription drugs. Do you have a very understanding pharmacist, or what's the story? No, no, because this, where I am at the moment, you you have what's called a GP app, and you can just ask for them over the app, and they're written off and sent to the chemist. You go and pick them up, no questions asked. And. When was the last time that you were able to speak to a doctor? I spoke to the, my own GP uh, about two weeks ago. Right. And I was li- literally in tears on the phone to her. And I said to her how I was feeling, uh, the side effects I was experiencing. Sometimes I get chest pain. I think it's a heart attack. And she just said to me that uh, all she could do was refer me to a drugs and alcohol clinic. So for her to say that, like, number one, I hurt my feelings. Number two, there's a stigma that comes along with all that kind of thing, you know? I know. I know. And at the end of the conversation, she just turned around and asked me, did I need any more tablets? Yeah. After I just told her, I was addicted, you know? I know. You you have a couple of things going on, haven't you, Liam? You have the pain, which is there and a constant presence. And you have the the addiction to the drugs, which you admit. And now you know you need help, and you've nowhere, no idea where to get it. It's taken me a while to, to face up to the fact that I'm addicted. Pure and simple. It's taken me a while, but now that I am, and now that I have faced up to it, I, I feel like a fool. To be honest, that I let myself get into this position, but the truth, the unfortunate truth, is you you probably will need. Specialised help to get off them, do you know? Probably, probably. But as I said, it does. I'm I'm starting off something I know with the GP, and until I know exactly what if what damage if there is any damage, because both tablets that I'm taking, the side effects for those tablets is the main thing is liver damage. I know. And then you might you might have kidney damage as well. So I see how it goes with the GP now going forward and. If I get no satisfaction, I'll go private. How is it affecting your family life, work life? I mean, do you work? Well, I have to work, obviously, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah someone has to pay the bills, obviously. Like, but I, that's that's one of the reasons I'm taking the tablets, so I can function. Yes. Yeah. You literally are taking them to function at this stage, so you can continue exactly, to work. Exactly, yeah, exactly. What about home life? Well, I mean, my family have great support. Like, do you mm. know, they have known all along that I was addicted, but I was just a fool to myself. Mm. You know? Were, were they warning you? Uh, there was times when there was conversations had where things were mentioned, like, and then you just wake up one day and say, you know what, you're dead right, like. I know. Dead right. I know. So it's a case of I am where I am now, through no fault of my own, really, I think. But, as I said, if the doctor turns around and keeps giving you tablets like that, 
I know. With no way forward, no way out. Especially when you tell me you're addicted. Yeah. Did you watch, or were you able to watch that Disney program, Dope Sick? I, I see, I've seen it, Keisha. I've seen it. And you know what? I felt physically sick watching it there. Because that was me in a nutshell. Still is me in a nutshell. You can identify with it, like? Wow. I could have been, I could have, I could have stayed out on that show. You know what I mean? All I can do is wish you wish you well, and I hope it works out for you. You know you've made an enormous step. I, I do, of course, I do, of course. And I should have made it a hell of a long time ago. But, as I said earlier, I was a fool to myself. Mm. But as a great man who's a great friend of this show, Michael Gearan, as he would say, Liam, you've taken that step now. So the fact that you didn't take it before doesn't matter. You've taken it now. Yeah, yeah. Onwards and upwards, fingers crossed, you know. Well, good luck. Stay in touch with us and let us know how you get it. I will, of course. I will, of course. I'll, I'll keep you up to date. And coming back to where we started, like, I mean, okay, your problem is with prescription, but getting the stuff over the counter, do you think it's too easy? In particular, where I am, yes. Um, I could go into any pharmacist or anything and just check, ask what I want, ask for what I want, hmm. get it, no problem. It, it it actually amazes me, right? You can get all that kind of stuff, no problem. But yet, you can't get served more than two boxes of paracetamol at a time in any shop. Yeah. For some strange reason. Yeah. But yet, you can go and buy stronger stuff and get what you want. No questions asked. Liam, as I say, you were listening to the programme. It prompted you to contact us. Thank you for doing that, and I, and I wish you the best of luck. No problem, and I appreciate the call. Thanks very much. That's Liam's story. He's no fool, you know. He's a brave man. He's calling himself a fool to himself, but he's not. He's a very, very brave man for coming forward to us, which he did, I'd say, within 24 hours of that discussion we had. Um, and uh, I hope he gets some help. He said he'd stay in touch with us. He said he was going to reach out to a few people and see what he could find. And then he'd come back to us um, when he had made some progress or hopefully when he was at least some way towards making progress. So we do wish him well. Just on the buses, why don't they just throw troublemakers off the bus? Well, they would if they could call her, but all that's on the bus these days is a driver. Just a driver on their own. Inside in a cab. And some of them are women these days. I don't think it'd be too handy trying to throw people off. Give the bus driver the power to stop cans or naggins coming onto the bus. Put a sign up, no alcohol allowed. You can do that, but if they're coming in in gear bags, you can't search all the gear bags. Then Kevin says, what do you expect a security guard on the, bon- on the bones of €11 Euro an hour to do? I get where you're coming from. Maybe a conductor plus driver would make more sense. Maybe, Kev. Maybe. It's just I think that the drivers particularly late at night, need more than just themselves on the bus. A bus with maybe 50 or 60 people on it at 2 o'clock in the morning, chances are at least one or two of them are well and truly off the scale, drink-wise, could cause trouble. What's that driver supposed to do? Drivers should be assisted. I'm all for private security on the bus. I am. And if that makes me some kind of a authoritarian, I don't care. I really don't. Like, I mean, we put security outside pubs. We put security outside nightclubs. If you behave yourself, you'll get in. If you don't behave yourself inside, you get thrown out. PJ security guard costs an average €28 an hour. Work that out for every route after 6 o'clock. 
Not every route, Paul. One or two hours. Oh, sorry, one or two routes. And pay them a shift. We need to do this. We need to put security on our public transport. Costs are costs. You find a way to cover them. Simple as. We pay enough, we pay enough taxes for that kind of crack. 0818 96 96 96. I never told you what it was about the parking app that drives me mad. Claire had a very good second guess. And actually, Claire, that annoys me even more, but I'd forgotten about it. Claire says, is it the fact that it takes a euro off you every time you top up? Yes, that's it, Claire. That's one of them. You, you top up 29, 20 euro or 30 euro or 10 euro, and they take a euro off you for the joy of topping up. That is a pain in the ass. Absolutely. But you know what's a bigger pain, Claire, is I use my app here every day. And what I do is I get a little reminder. So my phone flashes up at me that I'm about to run out and I need to need to park again um, because I'm at work, you see. And that costs me 20, 20 cents. The, the, the reminder text costs you 20 cents. Like, Why? Why? 2022, like WhatsApp is free to the other four corners of the world, but no, 20 cents to get a flipping text message from the city hall. Yeah. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at corkcitymarathon.ie. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The Two Grand Minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Courts 96 FM. Come back to your comments on the buses and how we might make them more secure for passengers. And your thoughts on the parking app if you have any. Um, oh wait, three three ninety six ninety six ninety six via text, WhatsApps, or indeed voice messages. But a very shocking statistic that I read in the last couple of days, and we know that there are far too many people sleeping on the streets in Cork. We also know that this notion of there being a bed for everybody who wants it is just a notion. It's it's not true. What I didn't know. What I didn't know was that there, at a good estimate, roughly fifty to twenty military army veterans sleeping on the streets of Cork at any one time. That's a a shocking figure, a one that comes from the Organisation of National Ex-Service Personnel, O-N-E. Dermot Higgins is the president. Dermot, that's a shocking statistic. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, It is, and I suppose no more than other areas of society, veterans are suffering as well. Now, they mightn't actually be sleeping on the streets, but they're living in substandard accommodation. Yeah. And that's, they serve their country at home and abroad proudly. That's the point. And they've fallen through the cracks. That's the point. How how come so many of them fall through the cracks, though, Dermot? Um, I suppose if you if we look at it this way, we were all soldiers, sailors, or airmen. Yeah. We're proud. Yeah. And we won't admit we need help. A lot of them, a lot of people won't admit that they can't do it. I was a soldier. I can do this. And they slipped through the cracks. We are providing a, an, 
an outlet for them to, to come forward to us and we will help them. So, okay, I've got you. So there's a certain military pride from having served that yes. sort of won't allow you to reach out to someone like, and I'm just using the name because everybody knows her, you won't allow you to reach out to somebody like Katrina Toomey. It won't allow you to reach out to St. Vincent de Paul. But when one of your own comes along, like you say, David, oh, listen, can you give me a hand? Yes. I've, um, personally, I've been involved with a couple of them that are living on the streets in Cork. Thankfully, I've gotten two of them into accommodation. Good. One man came through me through a volunteer dealing with homeless on the streets and I made the initial contact. It took a while for him to trust me. Even though we both had served, we didn't serve together. <laughs> but I had to meet him on numerous occasions for a coffee, a chat, and eventually he opened up to me. Yeah, you were And then we were able to help him. You were navy yourself, weren't you, for 20 points? I was navy, yes. <laughs> yes. Is there something in the military training, Dermot, that makes you worry, that makes you, I suppose, suspicious in some ways? Um, there could be, but a lot of it would become that we all became institutionalised. We were told when to go to bed, we were told when to get up, we were told when to eat. And when that safety net goes, some people can't adapt back to independent living. I get you. It would be, um, like, I mean, for me, I was on a tin can, as the easiest way to destroy, describe it, out in the Atlantic, getting tossed around with 40 other guys. That was my family at sea. I had another family at home. Right. And when your family, in, say, in the Navy, is gone, we had a good reporter. We were able to chat. And there are no problems together. But when that goes, the safety net is gone. And you ate on the clock and you slept on the clock? Exactly. So when the clock is gone, some people find it difficult to reset themselves? To reset themselves. And unfortunately, it, it's a facet of military life. That's fascinating, Danny. That's fascinating. Some people just can't adopt to fend, fending for themselves. Even though they could go out in the field with their pack and their rifle and survive. Yes. But come to civilian life, they find it hard. And we are providing a safety net for those people. We're trying to catch them now and rebuild them. I'll be talking shortly to, to Dan, who's been a beneficiary of the work of ONE. But talk to me about the... Uh, the flags, the sleeping flags campaign, which has been running just this week, I think. Yes, the sleeping flags campaign was there was a lot of thought went into that before we initiated this because we all swore an oath to the flag. Yeah, and we and no matter how long we're out of the service, we never rescinded that oath. But we said it will make an impact, and. We didn't put the flag on the ground. We put mm-hmm. tricolour sleeping bags. Military men would never put a flag on the ground. No. Never. 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 No. 
and we said it would make an impact. We had the first one in Dublin in that we had veterans sleeping outside the GPO. It was a symbol. I said, look, this is where our veterans are. The GPO, a symbol where our forefathers fought and died. And this is where the veterans are now. Mm. And a lot of people, we, we ran it last Saturday down in the outside Brown Thomas. And a lot of people came up and supported us. Good. And they identified when we explained to what we were doing. A lot of them, like you, were shocked. Yeah. That people who had served our country at home and abroad are now suffering. I think it's because, dear, but we are. Oh, it's it's not a it's not a gratitude. I think we express often enough. We are eternally grateful to our soldiers, to our naval personnel, to our air corps. We're eternally grateful. Yes, and and that is coming around now. People have actually come up to us and said, "Thank you for your service," which means a lot to a military end, doesn't it? It means a lot. Like I mean, we like I mean, we have the Lebanon and Unifil, which is great. But people need to remember that I never served overseas. I served on the seas. Yes. And like you said, in, in a tin can. <laughs> yes. And I, yes. I have I, to say, I went out, I was brought out as a journalist on some formal occasions in one of those tin cans, travelling nice and slowly for our comfort. I don't think I'd like yes. to be washed around on the high seas. No. Uh, to be out on a force eight or nine. I don't think I'd fancy that. And, but look, we signed up first. We did it. We protected our seas to the best of our ability. But it would be nice for, for people, I think, to come around and say, well, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I suppose, the one thing, okay, we have peace on the border now. No one has ever come out and said, thank you for your service on the border. Yes. You know, we, we kept this country from anarchy. Yes. And no one has ever come out and said, thank you. Can I say it now? You can, PJ. Thank you, Dermot. To you and your colleagues for everything that you did. And there's a former Garda station in St. Luke's that someone's asking about. Yes. We have, okay, I was instrumental in getting the, the home in Cove. Yes. Up and running. Now we have identified that we want to do another veterans' home in Cork City, up in St. Louis. Former Garda Station. We have gone out, we have plans drawn up. The architect is in place. Great. And it's gone out to tender now for a builder. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And we are hoping, it might be a long shot, that it will open before the end of this year and will be known as Brew E. Colleen. That's fantastic. Colleen's house. That's fantastic. Dermot, stay with me on that story because I'm fascinated by that one because uh, I know that old Garda station very well. Let me go to Dan. Dan, you've benefited from the the services. Thank you, Dermot, by the way, President of, the, of ONE. Um, Dan, you've benefited from the work of ONE. Good morning. Uh, good morning, you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been living in the Cove um, um, hostel since February of this year. 
Uh, and uh, it, I was, uh, as Jim mentioned, I was in, I was one of those in what would really be substandard um, accommodation. Unfortunately, I have a disability from road traffic accidents, nothing to do with the Defence Forces. But um, uh, my mobility, I got serious mobility issues. And the last place I lived in, I had to climb 62 steps every day, which was quite difficult because I go, I use a walker to get around. Right. But um, somebody um, put in a good word and said, look, there's a, uh, an ex-serviceman who's in, you know, in trouble accommodation-wise. Oh, and by the way, we, we had no contracts anymore. The contracts were not renewed in that place. So we were at the risk of being made homeless. Sure. Um, but um, the o &E came along and, uh, well, essentially rescued me from that. Wonderful. What, so what's, what, what's, what's your service story, Dan? When did you serve? Uh, 78 to 88, but in the FCA. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so part-time work. I did some full-time as well, but uh, there was a thing called full-time FCA back then. We were basically backfilling, which would be the current phrase or word, uh, for um, people that had gone over, overseas to the yeah. Lebanon. Maybe. Yeah, when, when, when the Leb started and a lot of yeah. the, the original truckers went to the Leb, they needed someone to backfill the the space. That's right. So yeah, what is that you did, right? Right. Yeah, that's what a reserve force is for, basically, amongst other things. Yes. Yeah, to, um, to backfill, you know. Now, you worked as a microbiologist, they tell me. Yes, my ambition all the time was to go to uh, college. Uh, I wanted to be a scientist. Um, I had entered, uh, I didn't have the funds, so I entered the scholarship exam. But at the same time, uh, I asked our quartermaster, um, who was PDF, Permanent Defence Force, uh, Army, in other words, um, about the possibilities of joining the PDF. So he said, look, okay, because um, I, I thought I hadn't got a snowflake chance in hell of getting that scholarship. I'm up against the best in Munster yeah. uh, at the exam. There was a special uh, exam for the scholarships back then. That's changed. But um, uh, he suggested full-time FCA. So I was actually unaware that it even existed. Yeah. So I did some of and lo and behold, I won the scholarship. Well, I was awarded one scholarship. Uh, there were 15 per year at that time. So I ended up in college. And to be honest, while I swapped my lab coat when I was a student and put on my green uniform and go soldiering during the summer. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you were working as both a microbiologist, and a student rather, and a, and a, a soldier, part time soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So that, that's but um, but I then I had a successful career in the pharmaceutical industry mainly, um, but unfortunately that um, serious road traffic accident. Uh, I was living in Norway at the time and it was over there, but um, the doctors went. They fixed me up. Uh, I shouldn't have survived. It was a head-on with a truck. Too much information. My apologies. It's okay. But, it's okay. Uh, but uh, I was told by, by the doctors, this is oh, 30, 30 years ago approximately. Okay. And um, they told me that in later life I would have problems. And indeed I do. Mm. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, I, well, I, I cared for my mother for some years. That was fine. Um, uh, over here uh, in Cork. Well, I'm in Cove now, but you know, in, in Cork City, where I come from. Yeah, and I did that for some years, and then I was talking about going back to Norway, but um, winters were getting very hard for me over there. 
so I got a part-time job in UCC, uh, teaching in the labs and teaching people how to do the basic stuff, like training, yeah. training people. Yeah. I did that in the FCA as well, and <laughs> I didn't use the exact same techniques, of course, but <laughs> but uh, it, it was a very satisfying job, but the pandemic changed all of that. Yeah, because the labs closed, didn't they? The labs closed, yeah. They sure did. And then you were out, you, you had no income, had you? No. Yeah. No, just my disability allowance. Right. Right. Mm. And you were living no, in a place that was totally unsuitable for you. You were climbing to a top floor. Yes. Uh, well, I often had to go up and down on my backside, to be honest. I couldn't walk. Mm. So I'd have to crawl up and lever myself down. Um, I can laugh at it now, but it wasn't very funny at all at the time. Yeah, yeah. But then again, I was lucky in the sense that I had a roof over my head, even though it wasn't great. Uh, it was definitely substandard. Yeah. So this is like a, a new lease of life for me. Yeah, I think what happened, uh, I have some, some notes in front of me, Dan, was it that the, the, the landlord came to you all and said, I'm not renewing your, your, your contracts, as I suppose, unfortunately, no. they're entitled to do. And then... Well, yeah, he, didn't, he, didn't, he just didn't renew the contracts. And then, that made me very nervous. Oh, he didn't tell you. And then, um, someone put you in touch with with ONE. I'm sure you knew they existed, did you? Of course, yeah. of course. I had um, approached them, but I, I knew there's a way too many uh, homeless veterans or ex servicemen or um, ex service men and women around uh, in the country. And I thought, like, and once again, um, there'd be a very long waiting list because there isn't enough. Um, Oh, I need to do a fantastic job, but very limited resources. Yes. And I, but uh, as it happened, um, I've, I'm, I'm just so fortunate to get to, to have got a place here. It's, I'm delighted for you. Uh, Thank you. Delighted for you. And I, I mean, how is life now, Dan? I mean, are, are you, do you have chronic pain and things like that? I mean, I, do you have a care plan or something for yourself? Yes, I, I get support from the people here, which is very important. Uh, the, the comradeship that I felt in the Defence Forces is kind of back here. People look after me. They know that I, some things I have difficulty with. Pain is actually, touch wood, not so bad most of the time, but it's my mobility or lack thereof. I see. Uh, in the head injury, sorry, I had a head, head injury in that car crash with the truck. Um, most people don't survive that. But uh, unfortunately, it affected the part of my brain that controls the cerebellum that controls coordination. I see, and that will get progressively worse. I see, I see. But you have you but there are other people worse off than me. Well, you know what? Your your story is your story, Dan, and you now have a safe roof over your head for as long I as do. You, for as long as you want it, thanks to this wonderful organisation. Absolutely, I can't thank Goni enough. Um, I think, well, I remember when I joined the FCA, my father said, are you crazy? Are you mad? Uh, he's unfortunately not with us anymore. But I think uh, if he was, I'd say, no, Dad, look what happens. When I'm in trouble, they come and help me. And, you know, that's something that I, I think is fantastic about the military. Dan, it, it doesn't seem to matter to ONE, and I think Dermot is still there, I don't know. It doesn't matter to ONE, Dermot, whether you served 30 years and were overseas for your entire service or whether you did a few years in the FCA, or as 
dandied, backfilled when everyone else went to Leb. You have a military background. We will do what we can for you. Is that the, is that the motto? Yes, Peter. And you don't have to be a member of the ONE for us to help you. Once you have served in the military, we will help. All right. That's absolutely fantastic. Fantastic work. And any time that my old pal Tom Welsh uh, told me many years ago about ONE, so I'm aware of your work and I think it's incredible what you do. And thank you for that service, let alone your military service. And Dan, thank you for your service and I wish you well in your future. Thank you very much. Cheers. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. <laughs> Don't you, John? Don't you, John O'Donovan boy? <laughs> He says, this is the anniversary of the Saipan controversy. It is. It is. And, and the fallout between Mick and Roy. And to this day, nobody, I suppose, really knows what happened. And to this day, people are divided in who was right and who was wrong. And depending on what part of the country you're in, they were divided on who was right and who was wrong. And John says, it's also the anniversary of a record I set that day. The regular callers to radio stations were all against Keane, <laughs> even though the the radio stations knew there was a lot of support for him. So I supported him, says John. <laughs> I was on 11 radio stations that day. <laughs> I had a record I've never matched. Yeah, I know, and for a man who has about seven phones, like, good man, John. Actually, that was a gr- I remember that time very clearly. Um... There's actually a strange connection to that time and uh, another story that happened yesterday that I'll refer to later on. I'll make that connection in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I remember it very well. I remember the, the city and the county being divided. I think in general, here in Cork, we all thought Roy was right. Stand by his principles, stick up for what he believed in, and if necessary, leave. But there were people who said, look, Roy, just suck it up, man. You're a well-prayed professional footballer. Get out there and play for your country kind of thing. But those who, you know, and, and very few people, I think, in Cork took Mick McCarthy's side. And I remember being in Dublin at the time, in the, in the middle of it all, when the thing was still going on, and meeting friends of mine up there, and they had the total reverse view uh, that they were on Mick's side entirely. But... I'm wondering how you remember it if you do remember it people who do remember it can you remember who you thought you who you supported who your families supported who your friends supported did you have arguments in the pub about it who was right and who was wrong Roy originally officially or initially rather kicked up over the state of the training pitch which he said was like training on a car park and the whole thing just mushroomed after that 
They remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the rows. My God, I remember the rows. The rows here on 96 FM over it. I do remember the rows. But there was most, I think most Cork support was for Roy at the time because he's Roy, like, you know, he might be a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes, but he's our pain in the ass and we'll defend him to the four corners. We'll see. Whatever you think. Whatever you think. I'd love to come back. Thanks, thanks for drawing my memory to that. <laughs> Roy didn't leave. He was sent home. You're at it already. See, I'm not at it already. I remember it. I just want to see why people remember it. 0818 96 96 96. Interesting piece in the examiner in the last couple of days. Uh, playing against girls is bad for the boys. Um, this was a resp- bad for boys' morale. This was a response I received when I approached a local sports club about starting the new season with a mixed team of under-sevens. This, I assume, was a soccer club or a gat club. Stephanie Lynch, you wrote the piece. Was it a soccer club, gat club, rugby club? What was it? Good morning. And he was right all the way. Anyways, that's that's another side. Sorry, issue. I missed the start of that. You were on Roy's side. Oh, completely on Roy's side. The only one in our family who wasn't was my mother. So, but the rest of us are big Roy Keane fans. Anyways, that's another side. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was um, it was a local soccer club um, that just figured that they wouldn't mix at under seven age. And I uh, I, I already coached the coach with the under eights and the under nines, boys and girls, uh, separately. Uh, and I just figured I'd just seen so many advantages to combining them. The studies backed that up, and that's why I approached the club to say, I'd love to get involved with the under sevens. Uh, I have a son myself who's six and who will be starting, and it was just shut down, shut down instantly without any any logical backing for it. What led you to start mixing teams, though, Stephanie? Um, so I'm a PE teacher, anyways, um, and I suppose there were two things running concurrently. One was, um, and what I mentioned in the in the article is that. In my PE classes, I'm a second-level PE teacher. The girls just shied away from participating. From they'd participate, but to such a, an inferior level, such a, a level that you'd, you'd think you'd have thought that they never played sport in their lives. So, on questioning them, most of the girls were in fact club players. They were club players for basketball, soccer, uh, rugby, uh, and GA, of course. Yes. On, on the PE, during the PE classes, they wouldn't tackle the boys, they wouldn't ask for passes, they wouldn't get involved in managing teams or, or designing games. Um, so I guess that was the start of it. And from asking them what was going on, they just said, we're embarrassed, miss. We're, you know, we'd be mortified to tackle the boys or to try and get the ball off them. We just, they just weren't comfortable with it. Um, which made me progress then on that note to see where that started from. All these kids are coming from mixed primary schools. Um, and, and my own children as well are in a mixed primary school. Yeah. Where's the segregating? So it's not in the classroom, but it is on the sports field. They have after school sports teams segregated. They have blitzes segregated, matches segregated. Um, and, and, and the other sideline then was running was me coaching the under eights and the under nines with, with other mentors. Um, and when we were short for my, my son is under nine, when we were short for his team, I would draw from the under nine girls or the under eight girls. Uh, my own daughter's under eight, so it was handy to always bring her with us to matches. And she played in them, and they all played very well. And the boys, some of the boys initially were like, oh, we're not really playing with the girl, we're not interested there now. But once they could see her skill level, so once, uh, and that's when I started delving deeper into it, looking at the studies. And all the studies said that by mixing, by mixing the sport, there's huge advantages to boys 
and girls and to mix all the way up, all the way up, even in, through adolescence. Right. See, and it sounds like a great idea, Stephanie, but there's only one little voice in my head the voice of the devil's advocate saying, well, okay. that's not reflective of the real world. GAA, soccer, rugby, basketball, gymnastics, swimming, you name it, any sport, it's men's and women's. We don't yes, do mixed yes. sports in the real well, world. Well, on the contrary, there are, there are a number of sports that are mixed, but there tend to be non-competitive or non-competitive yeah. leagues, let's say. But if you look at athletics, if you look at swimming, gymnastics, dance, they, they combine. They don't segregate for training anyways. They don't yeah, segregate Yeah, by but the 100, the, 100, the 100 metres freestyle for boys, you'll never see, or will you? I don't, maybe, maybe you can educate me here. Would you ever see 100 metres freestyle for boys and girls together? I, I haven't seen it, yeah. I, I haven't seen it. But despite the fact, though, that, uh, you know, the science is behind it, the science is behind combining, and even combining for team sports. So what does it say then? How's it, how does it benefit them? So it, like, there's, there's two ways in which it benefits. One is physical, one is moral. So we leave the, the moral aside for, for now. The physical way is that boys in a team sport tend to be more narcissistic in how they play. They're more goal-orientated. How many goals did you get? How many assists did you get? Whereas in the studies have shown that girls tend to pass more. Um, they, they use more space on the pitch. They're more team players, which is a huge learning for boys, especially at the younger ages, the seven, eight, nine, tens, um, who, who are tend to be just focused on heading towards the goals. So when they play with the girls, they then learn to pass more. And also, you know, it's a uh, second reason physically, again, is that a study showed that it reduces the levels of aggression on a pitch, which in turn can reduce the levels of injuries. The late tackles, the dirty tackles, the dirty play that we try to, you know, cut down on. Um, and it, studies have shown that that is reduced. And one of the biggest studies was by the English Football Association, who did a four-year study um, to see whether they should increase the age of mixing up to under 18. And uh, their conclusion was that it was so beneficial to both boys and girls, to, to adolescents, that they have increased the age to under 18 for competition. Okay. Actually, Kevin is pointing out to me here now, and again, every day is a, st- a school day in this business, I'm <laughs> sure it is in yours too, Stephanie, that Kevin points out that at the last Olympics they had combined relays on the track and in the pool. So okay, okay, I didn't know that myself. Yeah, I so didn't either. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's wonderful to hear. Uh, you also have um, mixed volleyball. Beach volleyball can be mixed as well, I know that much. Yeah. Uh, they've started even things like uh, handball or um, spike ball. You know, they, they're tending now to be mixed as well. Again, non-competitively, yes, might I add. Mm. You see a lot of sports clubs will do mixed hockey in the evenings. You know, outside of their own hockey hockey training schedule for kids, I just think going forward we'd get a lot more coaches, in particular for the female. Um, you know, we, I, we sometimes struggle to get people in to help coaching girls. Yes. Often it's often it's a case of um, a dad will come in if they have only girls. That seems to be more likely than if if it's a mixed. It's if they have a selection of children. You know, um, we've I've heard men say I'm not comfortable coaching girls. You know, I've heard women say, I'm not, you know, I'm not comfortable. I don't have enough experience to coach. Yeah, well, society has changed, Stephanie, in a way, and look rightly for, for the most part, but society has changed in a way where a lot of men are very nervous, surrounded yeah. solely by young girls. 
Yeah, well, you're never, you're never, and that's the thing about coaching at our age group. You know, it's all, it's all very guard, it's guarded, vetted. Yeah. Safeguarding is done. There is no adult ever on their own with a group of children, male or female. So yeah. we have to, you know, and there is huge protection for adults in that case. You know, in those instances. And I note from your piece as well, you were saying that some of the great camogie players, the intercounty, or the footballers, or the soccer players, and, and I think I'd probably add to this uh, boxers, because the yes, great indeed, Casey, Casey Taylor, Taylor yeah. Casey, and, and a fine, fine, fine soccer player she was as well, she, she which, we, for Ireland, which yeah. we forget. She sparred and trained and learned her boxing yeah. trade with boys. Now, she probably left a trail of broken boys in her way. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and, and to this day, she spars against men and there isn't exactly a queue outside the door. But, you know, the, the, camogie, the great camogie players did their hurling training with they did. boys. Yes, and, you know, I think the country clubs were better at mixing simply because of their numbers. Um, whereas the town clubs probably had more boys and therefore didn't need the girls to, to back up the team numbers. Um, but yes, indeed, all I'd say most of the intercounty players have played um, with the boys' teams or started off with the boys' teams anyways. Um, and, and the research shows they learn from each other. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, like there's, there's a lot of, there's huge learning. from We can see men and women, you know, one is from Mars, the other is from Venus. We have different ways of approaching games. Different. Even one recent study it said that boys were far... Um, listen to the instruction far clearer, whereas girls would discuss, not much discuss the subject, but would um, question the logic of the subject. So there's even different ways of how, they're, how they absorb the information of, in a match play. And all of that, all of that benefits both sexes. Yeah, yeah. Here's Jer saying they've mixed doubles in tennis, but I can't see it happening in football or in rugby, mixed, mixed rugby well, teams or actually, mixed soccer teams. On the contrary, rugby is one of the only clubs um, that tend to mix because of the lack of girl really? numbers. So, so up to under 12, um, our own local club mix, mixes up to under 12, and there's a club near my school in Cork also mixes as well, um, to name but two, because they don't have the numbers for the girls. But after under 12, then... They, you know, if you don't have enough numbers, I guess you find the club, which does. But yeah, rugby is very successful in it. Okay. okay. See, we start, I figure if we start at under six, under fives, mm. under sixes, under sevens, which some of the GA teams do. Um, GA is slightly caught because of the various modifications in the games for for females football and for camogie. Yeah. Slightly different to hurling and male male football. So that's possibly one of the reasons where they just don't want to combine. Um, but they do very successfully in the, in the younger ages. I, I imagine, given the standard, I mean, particularly here in Cork, say, and Kilkenny and other countries, Galway, the standard of camogie being oh, played, I'm yeah. sure some of our men's you know, underage teams particularly could pick up a few tips from the camogie they could, players. Of course they could. They all, they all can learn from each other. Without a doubt, there shouldn't be a segregation in the sexes at all. If we don't segregate by size, mm-hmm. uh, by height... Um, you know, why do we need to segregate by, by sex? The only thing might be, and I don't, don't wish to be accused of sexism here in any way, but the only thing might be physical strength. That if you start running them, say, run, run the 400 metres hurdles, men and women in, in a mixed field. Yes. Could have a physical difference there. Yes, absolutely. And, and that depends on puberty. So if a child goes through puberty at 13, they will have a physical advantage over their peers, even male or yeah. female. But, you know, some children don't uh, don't hit puberty till they're 17, 18 even before they reach their full height. Mm. 
But then again, so, as, as Kevin pointed out, they did relays in the Olympics, so clearly they found a way around it. There we go. It. Exactly. Well, they're that good. But I'm I'm also a five foot three woman, um, and I and I'm not going to get any taller at this stage in my life. <laughs> but I but I played GA all the time, and I was never good in the air because of my height. So I just had to use other skill sets. I had to make sure the ball was low and and improve my speed. Okay. So it's just nobody's going to have every trait. Yeah. So therefore, you have to work with what you have and work gotcha. to the best of your ability. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Listen. Great one, uh, Stephanie. Thanks. Oh uh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That's Stephanie Lynch, PE teacher, uh, in a mixed secondary school, and reckons that we should be mixing more teams uh, in underage sport. Mary, quick point you wanted to make. Good morning. Just a quick point there. Somebody mentioned mixed doubles in tennis. Yes. Um, just in Tennis Ireland, their ranking system gives points for singles and doubles and none for mixed. You don't get any ranking points for winning in oh. mixed doubles. Is it, played, is it played competitively? Oh, yes. And are there like championships tournaments? They, um, they, particularly now, I think it's um, you know important at junior level, but because like the Irish Open in Fitzwilliam Tennis Club every year has yeah. a mixed doubles event, but you don't get ranking points for mixed doubles. I see, I see. So you're you're rating as a as a tennis player on the national <laughs> yes. rating. Like you, if if you play mixed doubles as opposed to doubles, right. you're ranking. You won't okay, have so so if you win a ranking event, say men's doubles, you win a ranking event. For women's doubles, you win a ranking event. You get ranking points. But win yes. the mixed doubles, you don't. No. That's, so that's it, not it, then it gets it gets kind of, I suppose, downgraded to a largely social thing, which is extremely important, obviously, especially at that age. But, yeah, but big do- I, I think I, it, it I, particularly impacts maybe you know yeah. it, it it could reduce the fallout, particularly again, like every sport, the fallout. You know, we yeah. have programs on the Teddy Why Girls Quit Sport. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm just thinking. Mary, why boys quit sport because yeah. we don't have the same fallout. Yeah, I'm thinking coming into the particularly now the summer tennis season, the French Open is on, Wimbledon will be on, and the one in between, the Stella, will be on. And one of the best events in any of those, one of my favourite events to watch, is the mixed doubles. It's a fantastic event, but no ranking points. Thanks for that, Mary. Interesting point. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Your own thoughts. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. So Stephanie's particular point, apart from mixing the teams, was that we might look into doing it in school, particularly in the primary schools, starting with maybe the six, seven and eight-year-olds. And that maybe we might make it a policy in the schools to mix the boys and girls in their individual teams. Well, John Driscoll is the new president of the Irish National Teachers Organisation. He's deputy principal of Star of the Sea School in Passage West. Might be a, a question to start off our, our conversation. John, good morning, first of all. Congratulations on becoming president. Uh, what would you feel about integrating morning, boys? How would you feel about integrating boys and girls into well, teams and schools? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because th- this particular year our hurling team consisted of boys and girls, and okay. they did reach the semi final of Skeena Skull. I suppose in general, PJ, the vast majority of primary schools 
outside of urban areas in particular are mixed anyway. Right. And that would say the experience for most children in their PE lessons as they go up is that they are all playing together. The the, the issue of school teams, um, it, it's an interesting one. I have seen quotations from, from female athletes or sports people saying that it was playing with the boys that made them better. Um, I, I don't know. I, I suppose I'm sure wouldn't have a definitive position. It's not something we've discussed. I can certainly see the, the merits in it. And as I said, we, we have had it in our own school this year and, and over years. And I can remember in my earlier part of my career when the, the school I taught in Passage was was all boys at the time. But we played, I think, Watergrass Hill, coached by the late Eamon Ryan, who, who mm. was, used to coach the ladies' football team. And their team was quite mixed in terms of boys and girls and uh, they, they gave us a fine beating I can tell you the same day <laughs> so um, yeah it's it, it's certainly something worth considering um, I, I suppose as, as children get older you, you do get to the stage where, where the boys probably develop physically and they're more aggressive maybe and, and then you're into the situation that well well, why why doesn't the Cork Hurling team or Cork City have a mixed team all the way up because I, I presume in terms of a physicality, etc., it it would become um, yeah, yeah, maybe a, maybe more, you know. But but, uh, but I, I I certainly I, I certainly wouldn't have any issue with it at all. As I said, I, I have seen it in practice. The, you know? the messages we're getting anyway this morning, John, seems mm-hmm. certainly they're educational to me. It's it's a lot less of a surprise to some people listening than it was to me, John. As president of the INTO, the Irish National Teachers Organisations. You'd be one of the more, and I say this with the kindest words I can, you'd be one of the more outspoken unions in the public sector. What are the issues that you need to tackle, you and your members need to tackle, post-pandemic and heading into the future? Okay, well, in, in terms of being outspoken, PJ, what, what I would say is that we're a strong voice, both for teachers and for primary education, which... Um, if you get a chance to look at our rules and constitution, you'll see that in the very, very early mention of our rules, it is about protecting the profession and yes. also education. So if if, if, if we're outspoken, but it usually is on important issues. I'm on the so record on this programme, John. I'm on the record as saying, and I say it again, I wish every worker in the country that's a member of a trade union was rec- re- represented by unions that are as outspoken in that, to use that word oh. as the teachers union so yeah. that, well, that's well, kind thanks, of where it's coming from Thanks very much, okay well look PJ I suppose to take the, the, the here and now and the, the immediate things in front of us, the, the cost of living inflation is, is obviously the huge issue for, for everybody, not just teachers for everybody and you know whether, whether you're a teacher or working in a shop or a builder you have to get your groceries you have to put petrol and diesel in your car you're facing the cost of rents or mortgages, etc. So when inflation is running at six to seven percent in this year, and the the current building momentum public sector pay deal has a one percent increase coming in October. Now October being the start of the last quarter, you're effectively talking about a quarter of a percent of an increase when inflation's at six. So obviously it's not fit for purpose as it is. And the the unions triggered a review clause in the agreement. And to to be fair to the government, they have engaged in initial talks on reviewing it. And uh, I'd like to point out, Fiji, that um, in the last few months, 
the Taunch, Mr. Bradker, has repeatedly been saying that workers should get increases to deal with the rise of the cost of living. So I, ho- I hope uh, he'll yeah. pass that message to the finance department. He, he, he has been saying that, but mm-hmm. his cabinet colleague and our own fellow Corkman, yours and mine, Michael McGrath, uh, Minister for Public Expenditure, who's also, as you know, um, a forensic accountant by profession, and many other and, and econo- economics that are ec- economic commentators that have read will say if you chase inflation by means of wages, you end up driving inflation. Yeah, well, interestingly, PJ, I actually referred to that commentary at our Congress when we discussed pay issue. And I pointed out to delegates and I pointed out again out to yourself and yeah. to listeners, um, and I'm, I'm sure as a worker yourself, you you probably identify with it. Why is it always that we hear this argument about this, this dangerous spiral of wages chasing inflation when wages need to catch up with the cost of living? We, we've come through the last period of 10 or 12 years with pretty much wage restraint. Um, huge cuts in public and private sector pay. Mm-hmm. We, we've managed incrementally slowly to, to claim background. So wages have not caused inflation. Inflation is a fact of life. And um, as I said, I've, I've heard the argument and, and I just find it, mm-hmm. I find it, it's, it's always strange. It's always when workers need to catch up. Yeah. I mean, if, if, there, if there was no pay increase this year, it would mean all workers in the country are actually taking a pay increase. Well, that's 6%. true. That is true. That is true. You know? No, I remember, read, yeah. I remember reading that in, in economics mm-hmm. and business yes. textbooks in, in, in secondary schools. So, like, the, the chasing of inflation, using, you know, wage increases that chase inflation, yes, yeah. they, they're supposed to be economically bad news. But like you said, mm-hmm. anyone who doesn't get a pay increase this year is getting a pay cut because Kevin points out, I mean, the price, and I noticed this, that the price of petrol and diesel has gone through the roof again. Well, well, it is PJ and, and we'll say, again, to, to, just to bring it down to a practical example, if you take a young teacher, we'd say living in County Cork okay. and has a job in the city because that's where the, the majority of posts tend to come up is because of the large population. If you're driving from Kinsale or McCroom or Clannacilty to Cork City every day, the cost of your commute is after skyrocketing. It has. And uh, even more so, I, I was in Dublin last week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Weekend I was talking to a teacher who teaches in Tella but lives at home in Meath. So he, he was telling me his his petrol and diesel prices is, it's gone through the roof, yes. you know. Um, interesting, just just on the general thing, PJ. I I did see a comment I think at the weekend from Michael McGrath saying that the government may have to look at other measures. So um, I mean, look from a worker's point of view, whether it was a change in tax or or a straight percentage increase, the the fact remains that something has to be done. To, to bridge that gap mm. and whether that's you know purely a pay increase or adjustment of, of taxes or allowances um i suppose we'll have to wait and see as i said the, the talks really are only at, at initial, ah, at initial yeah, talks yeah. and, and in but, fairness, um, you, the public sector cuts a deal with the government every number of years and that deal at the moment and any you don't need to be you don't need a PhD to see it. Yes. That deal is not worth what it was and I'm, I'm a member of a trade no. union myself all my life. You know yeah. that deal isn't worth the paper it was written on it, because it of the isn't. way the economy has gone. Exactly. And actually, when, when it was negotiated, PJ, inflation was under 2%. And it was uh, around the start of COVID or just into COVID. And I think it was very responsible by, by all sides to, to just keep it steady mm. for, for the couple of years and see where we, we where we got to. But as I said, 1% in October equates to a quarter of a percent for, for, the, for the year, which mm. really is... is uh, but look, we, we'll have to wait and see how, how it plays out. But you, uh, you don't see this getting uh, nasty, do you, John? I I I, I don't. I, I suppose I tend to be optimistic in that. I think most people are reasonable. That there will have to be negotiation. There, there will have to be some kind of of compromise along the way, and, and we just have to be hope hoped that the compromise will be acceptable to all sides. Yeah. But uh, I, I I certainly I certainly can't imagine that uh, at this stage there there will be a thirst for any mm. you know serious disruption. I, I think I think INTO has always been very responsible mm. in terms of, of pay talks and you know even even taking taking um, going back to Haddington Road, which was mm. the second agreement during the recession, yeah. which actually inflicted further cuts on um, senior mm. public sector workers, but but it did enable the lower pay to catch up a little bit. So. As I said, PJ, I, I don't want to preempt things that sure. you know the talks have literally just started. Sure. And now we, I, we, you know, we just be hoping that, that I, reason I, will I will, and that, I will and bring that up something that always comes up. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that I agree with this, but it does always come up, and it is well. Look at this now, teachers. Two months in the summer, three weeks at at Christmas, two weeks at at, at Easter. You work eight to three, and you. What are you doing looking for more money? Bust, bust that bit. Okay. 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 First first of all, PJ, um, I, I come back to the, the, the holidays and the hours and so on in a minute, okay? But, but first of all, leaving all that aside, whatever your job is, you, you have a salary and you have commitments and everyone is feeling the pinch, not just teachers, okay? Now, in terms of um, holidays, etc., yes, they certainly are a major positive to, to, to being a teacher. But what I would say is that um, 
in terms of the hours in particular. And, and I've seen this change over the course of my career in that uh, my school hours were 8.50 to 2.30 in terms of teaching classes. But I and most of my colleagues were in school at quarter past eight. And I, I know that the car park was was never, there was never a, a Formula One start to getting out the gate at half two. The vast majority of teachers are there to half three, four and, and some later. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that's not just in my own school, that is across the way. And the demands on teachers in terms of, of what they're expected to produce has increased. So look, the, the holidays are, are the holidays. Um, you, you can't you can't go and spend a week the week of, of July as in it's not currency it, it's just it's just the way it is and it, it, look at certainly there, there's no teacher in the country at any level is going to say that it's not uh, a, a great part of our job but um, it, it doesn't help you if, if the salary is, isn't keeping pace with yeah. you know with the cost of living do you know yeah, yeah. No, um, we'll be, we'll be following. No doubt we'll talk at one more or more times during the course of the year, John, particularly about public yeah, sector pay. Yeah. But thanks for being with us this morning and taking time. Wish you well in your year ahead in office, and and I hope that it'll be a, I hope it'll be a, a trouble free one for you. And and, and I, I, sh- I hope so, Peter. <laughs> I know you do, I and I, and I hope we'll speak again at some point. That's John Driscoll, he's deputy principal of Star of the Sea in Passage West. But for the next year, he is president of the Irish National Teachers Organisations. Tom says the Christmas and Easter holidays are reasonably in line with everyone else, but the summer holidays are based on World War II needs to allow children help with the harvest. That's interesting. I never knew that. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. One of the most influential songwriters and recording artists working today, Donovan returns to the Everyman stage, playing all of his hits including Catch the Wind, Colours and the Hurdy Girl. Man. The show takes place on Sunday, May 29th. Access all areas. The Sultans of plan to return to Cork for a special one-night-only performance at Cork Opera House on Saturday, February 11th. Tickets are now on sale from corkoperahouse.ie. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition, or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Cork's 96FM. Now, the Lord Mayor's uh, Community and Voluntary Awards are on this evening. They're like a hybrid event. They're run at City Hall, but they're also being run online, I think, on the City Council's YouTube channel. There are a number of different categories, five categories, and there were three shortlists in each category. And among those nominated in the category of social services, charities, and environment, are the Cork Alliance Centre, who we talked to before, uh, the brilliant work they do with people who are about to come out of prison or in prison and looking to be released. And and you're being, uh, you've been nominated for this award. Sheila Connolly is their CEO. We talked before, Sheila, about your work. And it was one of those unknown centres that people hadn't heard of. Good morning. Good morning, VJ. How are you? Good. Remind us again what you do. 
Yes, yeah, so we um, we work with people on release from prison. So I suppose we're effectively an assistance project. So we're looking at what harm has been caused, what crimes have been committed. We're looking at addressing those um, with people um, and then also understanding that we, with addre- looking at the harms and the damage and the crimes caused, that under with that very often comes um, trauma, very often comes addiction, very often comes mental health um, and poverty, social exclusion, um, and those areas, so we seek with the individual to address those pieces um, in their lives. So it, it, it try to look at it holistically, but with an overarching theme of desistance. And do the individuals sense. come to you, or do you go to them? Um, both. Um, during COVID, it was much more they came to us um, when they were released from prison because obviously we weren't able to get access to the prisons except through video link. But invariably, we're in the prisons and we're meeting people prior to release. Um, we will get from within the prison, we will get either the self-referrals or referrals from the psychology services or um, the, the pre-release programs um, or from any of the addiction services or the, the ISM officers. Mm. Um, we would then work with those individuals to, and with the teams within the prison and looking at what plans are in place, mm. what we need to do to ensure that they don't end up back in the court system or back in the prison system yeah. um, again and, and begin that process. But then our real work, I suppose, um, that, that's very much about forming a relationship because without a relationship, this work doesn't work. Yes. Um, and so then, then our work is really then in the community for as long as as short as people need it. So some of our people are on and have got their degrees, and you know, we would stay with them through that process, or we would come back into their lives. Would say through that process, we say when they're trying to look at getting jobs and employment, and how do do they address that baggage of having mm. convictions, and how do they express that and yeah. be honest in that approach with people? I was. Um, up, I was up but there. we work with people throughout all of that. I was up there last week for that wonderful pop-up restaurant event. Dinner, yes. Brilliant. And I was thinking, as I saw your name come up this morning that we're going to be chatting to you, that like, it's projects like that and work like your work has moved us on to a different form of thinking with regard to prison. That you are entitled to come out, you are entitled to get started again, and guess what? You're entitled to another go. Well, and I think more important, I think that if we support our people, if we support everybody, if we support people out of difficulties and out of the challenges, then we're supporting ourselves, we're supporting a happier and more inclusive and cohesive society. We're addressing um, the, the fears that are raised in people because of the crimes that are committed and we're, we're seeking to support people um, to, to create that safer space for everybody to exist in. If we exclude people from that or we exclude people from supports, then we're, then we're, then we're creating more problems for the wider society in all of that. Okay. So yes, people, I would definitely believe it's about um, reintegration and resettlement and, and looking at the wrongs that have been done um, at all levels with people. Okay. All right. Listen, I wish you well uh, this evening at the awards ceremony. You've nominated in the categories Social Services, Charities and Environment. Sheila Connolly, CEO of the Cork Alliance Centre. If you want to know more about them, look up. They do fascinating work. Incredibly important work. Thank you for that, Sheila. 0818 96 96 96. Kevin is pointing out the petrol prices in his part of the world. 199 for diesel, 192.9 um, it's 192.9 for diesel, 199. Where's the outrage gone? It's amazing what we've been conditioned to accept. I, I watched them creep back up again, Kevin. I have watched them creep back up again because I tend to buy in litres, not so much in cost. And it keeps an eye on it. So if I buy 10 litres, 
of petrol or diesel, it costs an awful lot more, an awful lot more than it did uh, before, uh, even even six weeks ago. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Oh yeah. Oh, that takes us back. That's Micro Disney, the Cork band. And that was a reasonable hit that in the UK. Massive hit here at home. Big favourite. But the important Cork band, but the important thing about that is that song was written and they were fronted by Cahill Collin, who was from downtown, downtown, who lived in the UK for many, many years and did most of his work over there of recent times. But he died on the 18th of May, aged just 61. And Cahill Collin was an incredibly talented songwriter and producer of music. He moved on from Micro Disney to form another band called Fatima Mansions. It was kind of a, a thing. You were either a Micro Disney fan or a Fatima Mansions fan. I was a huge Micro Disney fan. I remember seeing them in the 80s. They were with a guy called Sean O'Hagan. He formed Micro Disney. They were an incredible band. And he passed away at the age of just 61. And the music, the history of music in Cork is, is the lesser for his passing. And uh, thank you for the music. Call. Don O'Leary, I'd say you've been a man you'd have come across in your own music days. Good morning. Good morning. I, I remember meeting him many a time. Um, he, he and his partner... Uh, yeah. Julie, I think his name was. Yeah. Again. They, they've been to the West Cork Bar regularly. Yeah. Um, very quiet guy. Uh, yeah. Lovely fella. Lovely, lo- lovely, lovely guy. And, and don't know why they didn't become the, uh, the stars that were meant to be. I could think of a couple of groups that have a load of limelight that he would have been far better than. Oh, we could spend the night talking about that Don yeah, yeah. over a pint or two. But come here, you're here to talk about the report from the uh, Department of Education about out-of-school provision, an overdue report that you had input into and you're not happy with it. Yeah, look, and I'm sorry, you know, it's that people are getting fed up of hearing me on talking about the life centre and its funding issues. But, but to be honest, this in the report takes the life centre out of the game. Um, we got involved in this report in 2018. Um, there are 23 educational groupies under it. Um, and they don't call them alternative for a reason. Our department doesn't believe in alternative education. That's a certainty. Um, however, they've messed this report about. Um, they, they, first of all, they asked for people to uh, say that they were still providing stuff. Then they said one for data on, on like, how many kids, how many staff, uh, what examinations. There were three first questions on, the, on the, the data that we sent them back. Then we made, um, we made a, a, a document presentation to them, and then we brought young people from Cork to Dublin. Um, it was supposed to be released in the summer of 2018, kept being delayed. In 2019, in February, it said the... Um, the recommendations from the report would be used to, to strategize for the future. Um, I, that itself, of course, worry because the department strategizing about anything is unheard of. Um, but, but I suppose for the report that was finished in 2019, I find it really difficult to understand how, um, unless, you know, this, this guy who wrote this report, a woman, and I'm not sure, uh, has... Uh, has really deep pores because they could tell us from a report in 2018 that the department were going to learn loads after COVID, which happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, we asked and we've asked, we've had loads of things, we've had to send FOIs because it wasn't coming out, and um, we had to send 
and we were told for a lot of time they weren't sending it because of the public interest. Then we got one that was kind of filled out, but they had no meetings, they had no minutes, uh, they had nothing. We asked right from the start, which is correct for every person dealing with research, and particularly when you're dealing with children, for uh, an oversight, a factual oversight of the report. They ignored it mm. and refused to give it to us. No. Now that you've got it, are you happy with it? No, not at all. And I suppose like, what, 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 this was a delaying tactic that the department used to try and stop us from getting funding because they kept saying, we will fund the, the Cork Life Centre Sustainability. Once this report is released, we will also um, pay their teachers um, or, or put them on a structure. Um, what this report is doing is, is getting rid of the Cork Life Centre. Um, it, it talks about, it talks about, I mean, you know, there's, a, there's major issues with the report under a number of headings. Number one, it's only talking about 13 to 15-year-olds. There's no 15-year-old can do a leaving cert. Mm. Um, it, talks about, it, it talks about the people that have the, the position to do it. The other thing it does is it reduces kids to, um, to some kind of a, an automation because under this report, what they intend doing, they, they don't believe that children need be out of uh, formal education for, for more than 12 weeks. And this is what the recommendations and the recommendations aren't going to be implemented. They're going to send them, in other words, I think, to some kind of a garage for kids and the kids are going to be fixed. It is absolutely, first of all, it's, it's highly insulting mm. for kids that have trauma, for kids that have mental health issues and for kids that are self-harming or kids that have eating disorders to be saying you can fix them in 12 weeks. I'm sure the, 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 the scientific world around the world, the scientific and medical world, <clears throat> are waiting with basic breath to see where they're going to put these kids. Um, it does talk that sometimes <clears throat> kids might need a bit extra, but it's still talking 13 to 15. And see, the interesting thing here is that the department's goal should be to support children because, you know, there, there are a number of rights here. It's a children's or every child's right to have an education, mm. right? And the department are now saying that... You know, this term early school leavers that they use is not determined whether a young person is a junior cert or not. It's at leaving cert. And they won't even look at leaving cert. They brought kids all the way to Dublin. And um, I went with the kids. Uh, I left the room after I'd made my piece and felt that other adults should remove themselves from that room and leave the kids from the four area, the four groups that were there talk. <clears throat> I was having a cup of tea and my kids came down to me and said, what are you doing here? And I said, they said, they've my made up. The, the, the young people said that to me, and, and, and my people said, ah, he's only making that up. They met a, they met a reporter in Dublin, uh, Carol O'Brien of the Irish Times, directly after, and he asked them how did it go. And that's what they said to him, yeah. and he remembers it to this day. Don, lastly, um, we're running out of time here. It does nothing for your funding. It your... does nothing for the funding, but worse, PJ, is it now sounds the death knell to, um, to alternative education. Um, it doesn't see any need for it um, and, and for me it's the children they asked the children the children said two th- one of the things the children bring up is this uh, the thing that they regretted that was that somebody out the older school didn't have leaving certs now that's in the report but it isn't talked about so the broad kids uh, they tell the kids they're at the centre of this the broad kids and they totally ignored what the children said so they don't what I say it's what the children said and, and they says, you know I'm back here 12 months later again uh, saying this, and this is children. Uh, it's how that's going to impact on children. It's not a report to be discussed. It, it's their, their, their next position, and this is they're going to an implementation team 
uh, and they will have her in place. They will not pay, they will not give funding to people who do not meet the, meet the criteria. We will, I, I'm not prepared, and maybe someone else after me will be, I'm not prepared to do the, the gymnastics that would be required to meet their criteria because it would mean me turning away kids. It would mean me turning away uh, kids that were in mental, home, mental health institutions on their bedrooms for two years and nobody wants to know them because they're now 16. Uh, um, it, it, is, it is absolutely a outrage the way they talk about children. Um, and for me, it, it says everything that's wrong with the department. Okay. Dan, you know, I'm caught for time at the moment, but again, your battle with the Department of Education goes on every day that you're able to fight it, and may you have many more days when you can. Uh, Donna Leary from the Cork Life Centre. Uh, never afraid to stick it to the Department of Education, is our Don. We'll be hearing from him, by the way, during Radiothon. Looking forward to that. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There's a story I must give you from the newspapers um, before I finish today. Uh, you who'd be a guard like who'd be a guard and they get a bit of flack from time to time and sometimes the odd guard deserves a bit of flack and sometimes it's unfair and all of that and sometimes people get <laughs> but in under the category of who'd be a guard I, I'll give you the story in a little while talking earlier as well about the parking app and what grinds my gears about it is first of all as Carol pointed out yes when you top up your credit on the parking app it takes a euro off you why I have no idea some kind of administration fee so clearly a computer is being paid a wage here and then when you um, park the car and you put in for a reminder by text message it charges you 20 cents for the joy of a text message when there's so many data messaging now is free. So, again, who's getting that like? Message comes in says, Parking app is great, PJ. I use it too. I work in the city centre. The messaging costs can be avoided. Simply put on an hour timer on your phone. In relation to the euro top-up fee, I top the max 100 euro at a time as I need to park every day. That keeps it to a minimum, which is fine. That's a little hack that you... But it shouldn't be there. Why are we being charged a euro to pay a computer to go tickety-click, top it up? Why, like, in 2022? And why are we paying 20 cents for a flipping text message to say you need to pay again? That's just my little rant. 0818 96 96 96. Now, tomorrow is Africa Day, but there are several events going on throughout the week to market, and we will be marking Africa Day on the opinion line tomorrow in our own way. But I want to talk to Alexis Amay. I hope I have a correct Alexis, one of the organizers of Africa Day. Good morning. Good morning, that's Alexis Amaye. Amaye, thank you. Tomorrow is the main day. 
Africa Day, but there's a, a whole pile of events throughout the week. What is happening in Cork, though, to mark the occasion? Absolutely. Thank you so very much for having us on to talk about Africa Day. So this year marks our 15th anniversary um, for celebrating um, Africa Day here in Cork. And we've got a range of activities um, that are just showcasing uh, around our theme for this year, which is African Youth Rising. So tomorrow we're doing a Rise and Raise and Rise talk series and panel and workshop in uh, the, the Cork City Hall Millennial Hall. Um, and that's really just to engage youth in a night of building their confidence and, and giving them some insights on industry and passion and life and just engaging them where they are. Um, and then we have a range of other activities on Thursday. Um, we have uh, an event at Crane Lane, which is celebrating African music, not just African music from Africa, but African music from the diaspora. So we have artists from Brazil and Cuba that are going to be a part of that um, event. Friday, we have a youth dance workshop, um, as well as an African film night. Um, and then Saturday, we culminate with our flagship um, uh, event that we do on an annual basis. Last year and the year before, we were hybrid and online because of COVID. Mm. Um, but we're bringing our family fun day back to Fitzgerald Park uh, this year. Um, so we're starting with a parade at Oliver Plunkett Street with some samba music. And uh, we'll move into Fitzgerald Park and have our celebrations from 12 o'clock to 6 p.m. there. You've got an exhibition as well at Fitzgerald Park all week of African masks, I think. Yes, yes. So that actually starts today. Um, so in Fitzgerald Park at the Cork Public Museum, um, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., they're actually extending the hours of the museum on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for this exhibition. On Saturday, we'll have guided tours through this exhibition. Um, but we're, it's a celebration of the different um, different crafts um, in, in mask arts um, from around the continent. About how big, um, Alexis, or do you know how big the African community is in Cork? I know it's grown immensely over the last number of years. It has grown immensely. And, you know, we looked at some statistics um, some years ago, um, and, and they say roughly about 20,000 um, here in Cork, but that was from the last census. Um, so I think with the new census and those numbers, we should have a bit more of a view on that influx. But I want to say that Africa Day is not just for Africans. It's a wonderful opportunity for people that are not from Cork to just have a chance to tap into community. And so we've had a large Latino presence, Brazilian presence. We've had a, a lot of Indians um, that are going to, we actually have an Indian group that's going to be performing this year and Asians as well from Australia and Vietnam that are participating in Africa Day just as a way of celebrating kind of the contribution that Africans have made both here in Ireland as well as abroad. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the films, uh, an African film. Uh, what, 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 you, what films will we be showing? So the film that we will be showing, you have caught me off guard with that one. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, well, uh, we talk have, a bit about um, the African film industry. Then I mean, it's not. Yeah, well, well. You, you, so the film that I don't have the name of the the, the title of the film, but the film is a story um, about uh, one of the founders of the Nigerian independence movement, okay. um, and so it tells his life story. It tells where he started as a youth and some of the things that he experienced as a youth, which influenced 
influenced him in terms of moving in politics and moving in society. So it, it's intended to be a film to kind of engage young people mm-hmm. um, because there's a very large Nigerian population, but to engage young people on on using on, on finding a passion while they're young that can help direct them in their in their future. We made we made a great friend here on the opinion line during COVID um, from her work on TikTok, and she's on with us regular now, Dr. Monica. She's a a, a major fig- figure in the Black Community in Cork, and she's very much one of our own. Yes. she loves being here. She loves Cork. Yes, yes. And she'll be here. Um, she'll actually be at our, our workshop tomorrow. We're looking forward to having her um, help facilitate that conversation um, with young people. You know, it's an intergenerational conversation. There's there's an African proverb that says it takes a whole village to raise a child. Yeah. But there's another African proverb that says the youth can walk faster, but the elder knows the road. And so I... So we're Give me that again. That's gorgeous, Alexis. <laughs> Give me that one. I never heard that one. Yeah, so it's called... It says the youth can walk faster, but the elder knows the road. And the, the, the notion there is that, yes, young people can do more and be more and excel and, and, and move much faster, but it's that intergenerational exchange. It's tapping into the, the sage wisdom that our elders bring that allow for us to help guide and direct our youth in more, in, in different ways. The youth can walk faster but the elder knows the road. Knows the road. Crikey, there's a lot of wisdom in Africa. Got to tell you that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they call it the motherland for a reason. That's that's fantastic. Well, enjoy all of your events. Enjoy the week that's ahead. Um, the, the, you, know, you know, when you see the real extent of the African community in Cork is one of the days is St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, because the love of yeah, parade and the is. color and the music and <laughs> and for for all of what the color and the music and the variety and the diversity that your people bring to our city. Thank you and have a great week. Oh, absolutely! Thank you so very much, and we look forward to just sharing this day with with uh, with Cork residents. We had four thousand people come to Fitzgerald Park in twenty eighteen. The last time we did it, we're just looking forward to calling out the community and having them come and celebrate with us. Four thousand! Wow. Yeah, we had. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's fabulous. <laughs> one of the biggest festivals in Cork. <laughs> that's fabulous, Alexis. Thank you, Alexis Amaye, one of the organisers of Africa Day, or it's almost Africa Week in Cork. Twenty thousand or more, but this is kind of she's saying for every diverse group that now calls Cork its home. Uh, these are events over the next few days. Doctor Monica will be on the program with me tomorrow actually talking about a medical issue that affects black women an awful lot more than it does white women and the research into why it does and why that might be the case. That's tomorrow as we mark Africa Day on Cork's 96 FM on the opinion line. 0818 96 96 96. Let me just do this, lads, before I go to the break because this is the maddest story. And it's in the journal. It's honestly one or two of the other newspapers. But the guy, the Representative Association, is having its annual conference at the moment in Westport in County Mayo. And, of course, the stuff comes up on the conference floor, the issues that affect guards in their everyday work and pay and conditions and training and all of that. But something came up yesterday on the floor of the conference that is just beyond belief. Happened in Limerick, okay? And a member of Angad the Shikhana 
is facing dismissal or at least facing disciplinary action. Why? Because he turned on the flashing blue lights in the squad car. What? Now, they were at an accident scene and there was an incident ahead that they wanted to warn the public that was approaching that there was an incident ahead and that it might be dangerous. So turned on the blue lights in the car. The most natural instinct of any driver when you see the blue flashing lights is to slow down. Turned on the blue flashing lights to alert drivers of a, of a hazard ahead. But they weren't authorised to turn on the lights. They hadn't had the appropriate training to turn on the lights. So now they're facing disciplinary action. The GRA is advising the guard in the play, in place, and and they've they're going to take it on face down. Like this is just. The member was not authorised to turn on the blue lights as they hadn't had the appropriate training. Like, I'm sorry now, but who would be a guard? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Hello there, I'm Graham Norton. Each year, the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon raises vital funds to support cancer services here in Cork. Please donate what you can to help so that these essential Cork charities can continue their great work. If you need a light to shine I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. John O'Donovan called in earlier um, just to remind us of the fact that this was the 20th anniversary this week was the 20th anniversary of the row in Saipan between Mick and Roy and it was John was telling us how he went on 11 different radio stations that day and he's never managed to match that since <laughs> thank you John but I was just wondering how people remembered it and straight away the minute I started saying about uh, I got into so it still divides people uh, Mag says I remember at the time of the Saipan incident a girl I was working with at the time went on a big mad rant to a customer about how she thought Roy was a disgrace it never registered to her, to her how alike Roy the guy was yeah she was ranting to his brother oh god he stayed completely quiet and didn't say a word her face though when we told her afterwards What's this Roy's brother's name was again? I can't remember now. <laughs> That's gas. That's gas. D says, okay, TMI here, but anyway. D says, Roy is the only man who makes me go goofy and speechless when I meet him. Thanks, D. Uh, the city is still divided, though. Well, we're all Roy down here. Country is divided, whether it was Roy's fault or Mick's fault. If you have any memory, any memories, do share them at 0818 96 96 96. Now, Jenny Bourne, good morning and congratulations to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you so much. You are to be our Cork Rose of Tralee when it all starts again in August after two years 
off the stage. I am. I can't quite believe it's finally coming back after two long years of the pandemic. It's amazing, isn't it? Are you excited about it? Oh, I am. I genuinely can't believe it. And I think, you know, if anybody had seen the videos from Saturday night, I think I looked quite composed on stage and I think apparently I came across quite well when they called out my name it looked like I didn't really have any reaction but I think it was because I was completely in shock um and I was just kind of quite calm on the inside but it was because there was absolutely nothing going on between the ears there my brain went into total shutdown mode and I'm just so delighted and I think it's still kind of sinking in that like everything's back after two years and we finally get to get back to normal and that I actually get to represent Cork as such an amazing festival. It's such an amazing privilege, really. Tell me about yourself, Jenny. So I'm 25 years old and I'm from Douglas. I've lived in Cork most of my life. Um, and at the moment I'm doing a PhD up in NUI Galway. Right. So my research is all about employment opportunities for women with disabilities. I see. Um, and it's primarily based in Cambodia and Rwanda. So a lot of my stuff would be international and I would normally work with NGOs and charities um, based in international development. So I'm just finished the second year of my PhD and like I absolutely love what I do. I find it completely fascinating. Um, so towards the end of this year, I'll be traveling to Cambodia to start doing some of my interviews um, for my research mm. and to start gathering my data. And what was um, the inspiration kind of for that thing. as a PhD subject? So I did my undergrad in UCC in international development and food policy and I absolutely loved it. Um, and I got very involved in women's empowerment and disability inclusion. And I did some work with South South Africa up in Dublin. I did my placement there in third year. And I got involved in some disability inclusive projects there. And that was what kind of sparked my interest in this area. And then I wrote my undergrad thesis on disability inclusive projects in international development. And then from there, I realized that this is kind of a really under-researched area and especially um, the area of kind of involving women in disability inclusive projects. So I decided that that was what I wanted to do my PhD research on. So when are you likely to be Dr. Bourne? (laughs) <laughs> hopefully all going well um, kind of around the summer of 2024 I see. I see of course a year off to be Rosa Tralee in between would be handy too but <laughs> <laughs> that would be great yeah yeah the, the, the competition itself and when it comes around Jenny will face all the same thing now oh it's old hat it's past its sell by it's this and it's that and the other you clearly don't agree certainly and you know I think you would get a lot where we would get a lot of that and I think it's perceived that way because there's no other festival like it in the world Mm. I don't think and obviously you know coming from my background of women's empowerment I personally see the Rose of Tralee as a platform that encourages women's empowerment and kind of encourages us yeah definitely and like when I'd watch it on the telly, I'm, and I do, when I'd watch it on the telly and be following it on social media, all I can see on my social media is people slamming it as being old-fashioned and misogynistic. <laughs> you, you see the opposite. Of course. I absolutely do. Like, having gone through this process and kind of looking at the Rose of Tralee and the Cork Rose selection from the inside out, 
the way I've seen it is that it encourages me and it encourages women to reflect on the positive attributes that we have within ourselves and kind of recognize what makes us proud to be ourselves and then stand up on stage and be brave and be confident in ourselves and say, this is what makes me interesting. This is what makes me unique as a person. And I'm willing to share these attributes with the world. And I think that's a very unique attribute of the festival, that it gives young women the opportunity to stand up on stage and be proud of themselves and kind of give themselves a chance to express themselves in that way. So that's kind of the way I see it as more of a celebration of Irish women. And I think, you know, the festival continues to grow and change and evolve with the times. And that only comes really from the interest and involvement of young women. And as people continue to get involved, as younger women continue to get involved, it continues to grow and evolve. So I am definitely still a supporter of the Rose of Tralee Festival. And those well, are my opinions on it, anyway. Well, Jenny, you know what? Um, I I think that's a fantastic. You you sold it to me again. I was invo- <laughs> I, I was involved. Oh God, I was involved a long time ago. Um, I would have been in the nineties. I I used to MC the the finals for for a couple of years in Cork. And oh, very good. Oh yeah, and down in Carrigaline, I think we were we were one year. That's where you were down, wasn't it? Down in Carrigaline Court. Mm-hmm, that's yeah. where we were at the weekend, yeah, yeah brilliant. Yeah. So listen, the best, the best of luck to you when it comes up in, oh, in thank August. You so much. And we might talk before or during, and maybe afterwards Absolutely. we might talk when you've been crowned. You'd never know. <laughs> you never know, exactly. I was shocked to become the Cork Rose, so you never know what could happen. You won't keep that straight face if... if <laughs> oh, certainly not. There would be tears all over the stage. <laughs> Jenny, good luck. It's lovely to talk to you and lovely to chat with thank you. Thank you so much. And I think you're going to be Great a fantastic to to thank you, ambassador for Cork at the Rosa Tralee Festival 2022. Good to see it back. That's Jenny Byrne, our 2022 Cork Rose uh, headed off to, to the uh, Tralee Festival in August. We'll catch up with her between now and then. 0818969696. There's a traffic problem. Uh, Ken Paris? There's a car broken down just as you come in from Little Island towards Dunkettle. It's just before the slip road, but it's just under that bridge um, coming out of Little Island, the second one under the flyover. So it's bringing traffic down to one lane and it's seeing some long queues in the area. As you're coming from, we'll say, the cove direction, our Little Island, it's just causing some serious problems. Car broken down, heading towards Dunkettle. Thanks, Ken. Actually, I was in Little Island, in that particular area, I think the Friday before last... I had to go down to the Little Island Parcel Centre, the post office. Actually, what brain box, what brain of Britain decided that it would be a good idea to close the, the parcel collection office that used to be over near Kiri's there on the Kinsale Road and, and make the whole lot of us go down to the rabbit warren that is Little Island to collect a parcel. But that's, uh, by the way, trying to get back out of it, it took me... I went down to collect a parcel for the Queen Bee and I left it at, what time? I left about five past four. I grabbed a coffee there in the in the, the Circle K there just at the edge of Little Island by the NCT. I grabbed a coffee there and it took me from, the, it took me nearly 45 minutes to get from there to the entrance to the tunnel at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. All the roadworks are driving people crazy down there. Absolutely crazy.
I hadn't been down there in a while. That's why I noticed it. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. So the Hut in Grunabraar, very famous facility, community centre. It's there, Grunabraar and Churchfield Youth and Community Centre, known affectionately as as the hut and you're, you're doing something up there Miriam Nine, at the end of May to, to try and bring the local community back into uh, the hut to I guess appreciate it for what all that it has been doing good morning good morning PJ um, thank you for having me on I suppose we just want to kind of invite the community to come back into the youth centre we're having an open uh, morning um, on Monday the 30th, so uh, from 10 to 12, and then in the evening for people who are working and might not be able to come in during the day. It's an amazing building. Um, I've only just started working there in January, and, um, you know, it's three stories. It's, mm. it's a vibrant youth centre. It's got a, a panoramic, panoramic rooftop view of the city. And um, while a lot of groups have come back, the youth service there uh, that CDYS are running, um, provides a huge, um, I suppose, uh, support to young people in the community. We have, you know, senior citizens coming in that that attend other groups like uh, Pilates, yoga, walking clubs. Uh, Noel Dempsey, an amazing volunteer, does tea dances once a month every um, every Sunday, and also coffee mornings on a Friday. So there's a lot there's a, there's a lot of things happening, but more can happen. And yeah. I'm looking to engage with the community and ask them to come in and talk to us and meet us and meet all the other services that are there and to create um, a vibrant community that supports the community's needs. Mm. Are people a little, bit, a little bit slow to come back out mm. post-COVID, Miriam? They, they are. They are. Some, some, some people have retreated and are afraid to come back out, I think. Um, so... Um, and I think the, the elderly have become quite isolated. So I suppose my call, while being cautious, is that come in and meet us and that we can create little small groups of um, uh, for people just to engage and socialise mm. because it's, it's so important for people's mental health yes. to, meet other, to meet their peers, to meet their neighbours. Yeah. Um, it's you know, you know, while the young people are are coming out, I think you know the, the senior citizens um, are much more reluctant. I think they got a small um, bit institutionalised from being indoors yeah. during COVID, and now they're a small bit afraid to to come out. Even though, for the most of them, if they're vaccinated and look after themselves, for the most yeah. of them, they're they're fairly yeah. safe. So you're hoping that people will come and see you May thirtieth, ten till twelve, and then there's an evening an evening session as well from quarter past seven. Music yeah. and, and I would love, I'd love just to put the face. I suppose CDYS Youth Work Ireland is running that building now, and um, we just want to, you know, ha- have it as a very vibrant and a supportive place for the community. And we're just looking for people to connect okay. and and to, to make themselves known and and to talk about the things they'd like to do. Excellent. All right. And if anyone wants further information, they can email Miriam at cdys.ie. Miriam at cdys.ie. 30th May, which is after the weekend. Is it Monday? Tuesday? Tuesday, I think. Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? 
Yeah, Monday, Tuesday. Anyway, look, I'll figure it out myself. Monday, Tuesday. You'll figure it out yourself. Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember, 30th. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, from 10 till 12 and from quarter past 7 to half past 8. Just to get people back out to the hut. 30th is Monday. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. There was a letter in the Echo in the last couple of days from Gillian Fanning. Gillian Fanning is the president of the Society of the Irish Motor Industry, the outgoing president. In fact, I think she ceases to be president as of this evening, close to business today. First female president in the history of uh, the Society of the Irish Motor Industry. But she, they've been doing some research on women in the motor industry and women's attitude within the motor industry and whether or not women want to be in the motor industry and whether women in the motor industry would encourage other women to get a job there. And I've been chatting about that to the outgoing president, Gillian Fanning. This survey would have been carried out under your watch. What was the idea behind it? Was it to, because you were the first ever female president to, to research the role of women in the industry? Was that the, the reason? Um, yes, that was one of the reasons, PJ. So we've we've got, uh, there's about 40,000 people working in the Irish motor industry and we estimate that about 10 to 12% of those 40,000 people are women. Um, we've never carried out a survey of the women in the industry before and we really just wanted to find out, you know, how they felt about working in what's traditionally a very male-dominated industry. So, um, yes, I mean, it, you know, it was initiated by me. It's something that, you know, I wanted to do as the mm. first female president um, and we interviewed 140 women in the industry um, and yeah very very interesting responses mm. What were your key findings? So um, I suppose like uh, on a positive note um, 67% of the respondents uh, believe that women have become more visible in the industry in, in recent years um, 67% um, also said that their companies had increased the number of new female employees recruited over the last three years so that's very positive um, I suppose um, on a slightly negative note over half of survey respondents believe that women are underrepresented in their organisation and 40% said that women didn't have the same opportunities for advancement as men in their companies. So that's something that we need to look at and we need to address over coming years. In in terms of the role or the roles that women traditionally play in the, in the average SIMI garage, you know, are they likely to, to sell you your car? Are they likely to book you in? Are they likely to service your car when you bring it back? How are the roles distributed? Well, it's a mixture really of of, all, of those three positions, but also other positions. Um, yes, traditionally, I suppose women would have been more on the, you know, the sales and marketing side, the admin side. But more and more women are, are getting involved on the technical side of the business, um, like every year. So, yes, we've quite a few female technicians. And it's something that we're, you know, we're always trying to encourage women to, to look at that as a career. Um, yes, as you mentioned, women are in kind of service advisor positions. Um, yeah, I would say that they are more on the retail side of the business. Mm. I work on the wholesale side of the business myself and there's less women on that side. But yes, traditionally, um, more women would work in the, in the on the retail side of the business. Mm. How do you interpret the results of the survey? Is, is there work to be done as it were? 
Um, yeah, I think I think there's there's work to be done for sure. I mean, like other industries, um, you know, there that there's a we, we do have a long way to go in terms of addressing the the inherent gender imbalance in the industry. But I think what's very encouraging is the fact that um, almost eighty six percent of respondents feel that they're supported by their male colleagues mm. because obviously that support is critical uh, to the success of of our gender diversity initiatives over coming years. So. I think, you know, there, there's, of course, there's negatives like in every other industry, but there's also quite a lot of positives, I think, that we can build on. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be over coming months and years, we'll be looking at how we can we can address the issues that uh, that the, the women respondents raised um, in the survey. Is there a glass ceiling within the industry? Um, I don't think so. Um when I joined the SAMI management board about four years ago, I was the only woman on the board. Now we have four women on the board. So, um, you know, the number of women, uh, you know, getting involved in more senior roles is is increasing all the time. So, no, I wouldn't say um, there's a glass ceiling. There's some women in the industry in very senior positions. So absolutely not. And as I said, I think the fact that women feel supported by their male colleagues um, is, is evidence of that. Have you looked- looked at all at customer experience, Gillian, as in I go in to buy a car or get my car serviced and say a woman would go and do the same thing. Have you looked at the customer desire? Do men want to be served by men? Do women want to be served by women? Or did you look at that? Okay, we haven't actually looked at that in Ireland. Now, I have looked at research from other markets um, in relation to women customers and definitely what came across strongly in research in, in other international markets is that women tend to prefer to be um, served by, I suppose, or, or assisted by um, a female salesperson. They seem to feel that uh, a female salesperson will maybe listen to, uh, you know, their needs um when they're buying a car. Now we haven't um, we haven't commissioned any research uh, in relation to the customer experience yet, but that is definitely the next thing on our agenda. Yes, we're we're looking at all of that. Yeah. Um, so so that's definitely uh, on the horizon. And as the outgoing, and as I said before, first I can't believe actually first female president in in the hundred years of the SAMI. Are you yeah. are you happy with the state of the industry from a woman's point of view? Yes, definitely. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, it was great to have been able to um, to do this research while I was still in office. Um, like, I do think there are definitely, uh, you know, quite a lot of positives. I'm, I'm happy with the state of the industry. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, we now know we've, we've got, you know, firsthand, I suppose, um, knowledge now based on our survey of what, you know, the women in the industry feel uh, you know what they need, what they'd like to see changing. Um, you know they want more mentorship. They'd like to see more leadership and management training. So you know there's there's a lot of practical things that we can do to bring bring it on um, even further. And you know I think it's important to remember that yes, while it is a, a male dominated industry, and um, you know there's absolutely no doubt of that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, and we do have obviously a long way to go uh, in terms of the uh, inherent gender imbalance. I think it's important to remember that there's a huge range of roles uh, for women in the industry, not just the traditional roles, um, a huge range of roles across a number of different 
you know, every function and the industry itself. I mean, it's going through so much change at the moment that over coming years, there's going to be even more opportunities. Which makes your headline finding, as it were, that seven out of 10 women approximately would recommend a career in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think 71% of women said that they would recommend a career in the industry. So, I mean, that's very, very positive. That speaks for itself. Gillian, I wish you a success in your future and thank you very much for being with me. Thanks, PJ. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. Gillian Fanning, outgoing president of the SIMI. Come here, lads. We're only in hours now. We're in hours now. We're just over 42 hours now to 6 a.m. Thursday when we will start the Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Starting 6 a.m. Thursday, 42 hours and a bit away and runs through Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Once again, raising funds for Cork Cancer Services and once again, we need your help and we know you'll come out for us because you always do. You can have a coffee break, do it at home, do it at work, do it at school, do it outside the road, the camping table. I don't care. Just do it. Just do one for us. We'd love that. Change collector boxes. You don't even need a change collector box. If you have one, great. If not, just get an old tub or a biscuit tin or something and collect some change. Go around the house because people are using so many cards now and tapping and everything. There's change in drawers and there's change down in socks and old handbags. Just grab it all together, save it up and bring it into us. And on the Friday, we have a jersey day. And this is an exciting one. Wear your favourite jersey, be it to work, to school, to the office, wherever. And do all that for us if you can, please. You can get a fundraising pack at 96fm.ie and join us from 6am Thursday. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon, just over 42 hours away, only on Cork's 96FM. Remember going to the circus or bringing my own children to the circus? And of all the circus acts that I liked to watch, I used to love to watch a juggler. I really did love to watch a juggler. And then I would go home and I would pick up fruit or whatever, tennis balls, and there was bruised fruit all over the kitchen floor and I lost more tennis balls than I ever picked up. Just couldn't do it. It's a skill, though, that you can send your kids to learn over the summer. Izzy is from Youth and Social Circus. She's the Youth and Social Circus Coordinator with the Circus Factory. We have a circus factory in Cork where you can learn things like juggling. Izzy, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? Nice. I was always fascinated with it, Izzy, but I just left bruised fruit all over the kitchen floor. I could never quite do it. I could never quite get that knack of keeping the eye on whatever was in the air. And that was the trick. So it's a skill that... Is it easy to learn? Well, I think that it definitely has different levels, but it is easy to learn with enough persistence and practice. And it's really accessible circus skill. So you have single ball juggling, you have partner juggling, so you can juggle with a friend, table juggling, on all the way up to that three ball juggling that you're thinking of, and I imagine with the fruit around the floor, you know? Now you're sending out juggling kits so people can try this for themselves. So the project's called Circus Explored, and it's run by Isaacs, the national network for street and circus, and they're strategic partners with Creative Ireland. And we're giving out 5,000 free juggling balls across the country. And we've been collaborating with youth circuses across Ireland, and we've been running online tutorials um, run by our kids 
from Circus Factory, from Galway, from Dublin Circus and Clock Jordan. And they've been teaching um, different circus skills that you can learn online and you can find that on the website. Mm. The and skills of the yeah. circus, you know, it's a while now since I was a child. Don't ask how long. But I think it's it's the fascination of a child for circus and the fascination of even for adults looking at the entertainment. It's a wonderful form of entertainment and great to see it alive in 2022. Well, definitely. And I think what we really want to do is give every child the opportunity in Ireland to try youth circus. It's a great way to express creativity, have fun and build your confidence. And it's a non-judgmental, competitive and um, non-competitive space where it's open for everybody. And that's what we really want to try and get the message across that um, in, on the day of creativity for children, for Korean and Nunog, you can get your kids to do circus and you can have them learn these juggling tutorials and then come to one of our spaces and try out some other circus skills maybe that they might be interested in, like cocoon. Yeah. Where, 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 where are you based in Cork these days? We're um, near the Marina Market, so just up the road. And um, you can just find any events that we're doing on the circusfactorycork.com website. And so it's about... 15-minute walk, probably, from okay. town centre. So if there's parents <laughs> listening and they would like to get their children to try this out or their children are saying, Mammy, Mammy, I want to try juggling, how do they go about getting their juggling balls? How, how do they go about learning? So you can register online. Now, we've had such a huge demand for for juggling balls in Cork that we're actually going to be sending out a video where you can make your own juggling balls um, using socks and also, you know, grab some rice or some lentils from the back of the cupboard, whack it in a sock. You can choose your own design, make it a family activity. I'll be using some butterfly ones because, you know, I want to try and make sure that it really represents my personality. Um, I think that you get 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 the socks, get the rice, and we'll be sending that out. But um, you'll be able to, if you have registered early in Cork, you'll be able to pick them up at the local library. Okay. And is there a and website where we can too. find out more? Yes. So you can find it at um, the Circus Explored website or also the Isaac's website. And the tutorials will be available through their social media too. Okay. All right, it's Isaacs, I-S-A-C-S dot I-E to find out more about the circus movement in Ireland in general and how to learn skills like juggling. That's Izzy, who is the uh, Youth and Social Circus Coordinator with Circus Factory and they are down near the Marina Market. Make your own. Cut up some socks. Put in some rice. Stitch the tops. There you have three juggling balls. And get the videos online, I assume. Thanks, Izzy. 0818969696. I know they're watching me. He's going to be trying this now over the summer and making a complete idiot of himself. You know what? I might. I just might try it. I just might. Um, I see this is one last one for today. My 16-year-old brother died suddenly while playing a football match 10 years ago. Sorry to hear that. I'm doing a fundraiser for the Irish Heart Foundation. We're doing the Cork City Marathon along with Waxathon in our local that night. We'd love a bit of support. The GoFundMe page is Cork City Marathon, Shave or Die Night, and is organised by Nailis Murphy. Well, good luck to you with that. And many more people will be doing charity stuff with regard to uh, the marathon. And when we get closer to marathon time, which is only the end of next week, the June weekend, uh, we'll certainly mention as many as we can. But for today, that's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.